Welcome to the Athletics Premier League Countdown. I'm Adam Leventhal. With the return of the 2019-20 season only days away, we're releasing 20 shows on the Ornstein and Chapman feed, each one dedicated to a different Premier League team. That's two podcasts a day, every day, up until football returns. Now, if you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up right now and take advantage of our 30-day free trial by going to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to enjoy the best football writing anywhere just as the season makes its long-awaited return. Sheffield United are next under the microscope, currently seventh, just two places and three points behind Manchester United in fifth and with a game in hand as well. Uh, Let's welcome the Athletics' dedicated Sheffield United correspondent Richard Sutcliffe to the show. Richard, it has been a sensational season for Sheffield United, just in general terms. How excited are you to to get back reporting on a side that has exceeded expectations? Oh, they certainly have. Um, I must admit, I didn't see this season coming, if I'm honest. I thought they'd battle manfully against relegation, then probably just stay up right at the end. And actually, last summer I was out in Portugal, speaking to Chris Wilder and he'd actually just sat the players down that day and and got off the, they'd had a phenomenal three years and been winning most weeks and actually explained to them and says, look, if we lose three, four, five games on the bounce, you know, you'll have to cope with that and just be ready for it. And yet, obviously, it's been nothing like that. They've only lost twice away all season. And as you say, if they, if they win this game in hand against Villa when they, when they relaunch the Premier League uh, on Wednesday, they move up to fifth place. And uh, knocking on the door of the Champions League, which it's just it's just it's just beyond comprehension, really. Just give us give us an insight into how Sheffield United have been during this lockdown period, and and what Chris Wilder has has been able to do with his squad to ensure that they're you know that they've topped up their fitness and they've mentally been ready to to go again when we were given a date. Yeah, it's been a very uh, carefully scheduled uh, three months, really. Um, they were the last team to finish training. I think it was the 20th of March when they finally gave up the ghost up at Shirecliffe, which is the training ground. Um, and this issued all the players with a watt bike and sent them home with lots of weights and things like that. Gave them a carefully scheduled program. Um, they had all the GPS anyway. They have to input things in the morning uh, every time before they come to training, just during the normal season with all their heart rate, anything like that, just to flag up any p- potential problems when they're coming to training. And obviously if they've got a tight hamstring, then they don't go out and play and things like that. So they've been very, very good on that side. Uh, but then they, they divvied up the squad into sort of you know three or four for every coach so that everyone was in touch with them every day because... You know, the, the big worry was the foreign players who've come in, really, particularly the ones who arrived in January, who'd only been at the club a couple of months. They're still living in a hotel or maybe just moved into an apartment and obviously feeling very isolated as well because obviously family and friends are all at home and they're just staring at four walls apart from when they're going out for a run. So Sheffield and I were very careful with that. Billy Sharp, who sort of runs the dressing room uh, for, on behalf of Chris Wilder, he made sure that the lads were rallying around and you know WhatsApping and and ringing ringing the new lads up like Sander Berg and Panos Retsos, and it's just keeping them together really. And they've just been chomping at the bit to get back. And when they did get back, they were, uh, you know, Chris Wilder. We spoke to him and he says he, they're in magnificent shape, which he hoped they would be, but you never quite know. So he was uh, he was pleasantly uh, well, took that and took that and thought, well, let's get it going again. It's interesting you mentioned, obviously, there's, there's a very strong team spirit. Billy Sharp, who's not always playing, is he? But he's, he's a key voice in the, in the dressing room. Just, just tell us how the, the dynamic works between um, the, the manager, Chris Wilder, and the players. How, how does he sort of rule the roost? Yeah, he's in charge. You know, obviously, everyone knows he's the boss. 
Um, and, you know, his word goes, whatever he says, that's it really. But he does give them leeway. And he's, he's done it ever since he was Halifax Town Manager. I was speaking to a guy called Martin Foster um, a couple of weeks ago for a feature I was doing. And he was captain of the club for a time. And, and he actually ran the dressing room for Chris. He says, obviously, if anything, God, if somebody stepped out of line and the manager had to get involved, he would. But it was up to the captain to run, you know, the fines. And if there was going to be a night out, which obviously there was a lot more of at Halifax Town than there is at Sheffield United. But the captain is given that leeway. And uh, it was one of the first um, tasks that Chris Wilder did when he came in. He rang Billy up. Billy was actually at the airport flying off on holiday. It was just after the season had finished 2015-16. And said, I want you as my captain. He'd listened to him because they had a horrible season. And the Nigel Adkins finished 11th in the league. And it was just a horrible place to be was Bramall Lane. But he'd listened to an interview on the radio that Billy had done and he could tell Billy was really hurting and he straight away thought, if I do get this job, he's my captain and it's proved one of his best decisions. In terms of the, the, the team and the squad um, dynamic at the moment, in terms of injuries and, and players that are maybe now available that weren't before lockdown, is there going to be uh, a certain amount of strengthening to this squad? Have they been able to use that time wisely? Probably less tired than they possibly were. That's about it. Ender Stevens had a problem with his calf. He was struggling. Um, he, he's actually started every game, but I think he came off at half-time in the last game against Norwich, which is a long time ago, obviously. Uh, so, no, everybody's fit and firing. And uh, they're just working through now. We haven't had confirmation yet, but they're obviously wanting to extend all the loans, particularly Dean Henderson. They're not envisaging any problems in that. So, no, they're, they're, they're fit and firing and... And chomping at the bit, really, it's uh, you know no 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 strengthening as such. What will be interesting is if there's any tweaks to the system, because obviously Sanderberg came in for 22 million in January, and we've not really seen the best of him. You know he's been steady, but he likes to play a deeper role. But that's been Ollie Norwood's preserve for the last couple of seasons. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can uh, tweak things and get the best out of obviously a player who's cost 22 million, which is a lot of money for Sheffield United. So we know where Sheffield United are in the table. In terms of holding their nerve, how are they going to deal with that? Because they're on the brink of qualifying for Europe. How do you think Chris Wilder is going to keep that in check? It probably drawing his experience with uh, the two promotion campaigns, you know, last season in particular, was a, a you know a real to in and fro in between leagues. You know, Norwich were away and gone, and they always looked like they'd be champions. But I think I worked out in March and April the uh, the possession of second place changed hands nine times during that running. Sometimes because Leeds were playing Tuesday and Sheffield United Wednesday, but they held the nerve in that. You know, both teams were doing well, and then it got to Easter and the pressure got to Leeds, where Sheffield United just seemed to thrive under that pressure and a lot of that is the manager it does relax them you know it it, it relaxes them but he's also demanding you know there's there's quite a few players still from the league one title winning team you know like Chris Basham Billy as we mentioned Jack O'Connell and they all speak of just what he was like you know the one promotion with four games to go but he was adamant they had to get to 100 points which meant winning the final four games and you know that's exactly what they did because he just wouldn't let them rest and you know at the time you know, I spoke to Paul Coots about this who since left and he was just looking at him like thinking, well, we've got up, that's all we wanted to do. But by the time and they got the 100 points, he was like, I'm, I'm glad the manager did that because we've actually made history now. And I think that's what he's stressing. I spoke to Ollie Norwood a couple of weeks ago and the first thing that the manager said when he got the players all together, obviously there's no meeting rooms anymore, it was out on the, the turf at Shycliffe. And he said, look, you've worked so hard for 10 months, don't throw it away. And that's the message now.
Yeah, they can they could just go again with that with that mindset and they'll they'll end up very very well indeed. But I mean in terms of, you know, where do you see the ceiling for this side? Uh, can you see them sort of building on where they are now? I mean, it, it seems strange to be saying, well, could they could they kick on and and break into the into the top 4 and and things like that? I mean, it, it sounds unreasonable, but them staying up very, very comfortably and, and pushing for Europe sounded highly unreasonable last summer, didn't it? Oh, of course, of course. It's it's very, very tough. You know, I that one of the other things that uh, Chris did say to the squad that Ollie passed on to us the other week was that this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I think there is realism at the club that, you know, obviously the seventh, they could go fifth with nine games to go. That's not really, well, it's certainly not where we expected Sheffield United to be. He'll want them to be, don't get me wrong. You know, he wants to improve year on year on year. But we're in a division and, you know, where teams are spending 50, 60, even now, 50, 60, 70 million pounds on players. Where Sheffield United have spent an unprecedented amount in the last year, but they had to pull forward part of next season's budget to get Sander Berg. Because they thought, well, if they leave it till the summer, other clubs were circling. They thought they'll get him instead. So that's taken a bite out of the uh, budget for next year. Obviously, the, the ongoing problems with coronavirus and income, that's causing problems. So you do wonder, this might be the peak, you know. But if it is to prove that, then what a way to do it, to qualify for European football. Because they've never played in Europe before. And uh, it'd just be something that... Obviously, the fans would never forget and the players the same, I'd imagine. Yeah, it would be an amazing, amazing story. Um, obviously, you know, you've got uh, an initial couple of games against sides that are in the in the wrong half of the table in Aston Villa and, and Newcastle. Then that massive game against Manchester United. And let's not forget, also in the FA Cup as well. So that there are plenty of reasons to be cheerful. Absolutely, absolutely. And in, it sounds daft as well, but in a way... The fate is in their own hands because they play six of the uh, six of the final ten games are against sides that you would say challenging for Europe. I include Burnley in that. You know they go to in uh, in two or three weeks because you know they're only three four points behind. I think I've not got a table in front of me, so it it really is in their own hands. That the big thing is they've got three home games, which would have been April, uh, which were uh, coming up against uh, Wolves, Tottenham, and Chelsea, who basically along with Manchester United and Arsenal, obviously, are the, the teams that, that really stand in between Sheffield United and maybe finishing top seven, top eight, top eight it might be, if the uh, the Manchester City appeal doesn't work. But no, the, the, the fate's in their own hands. And, uh, you know, and, and what a place to be in that is with, what, nine, ten games of the season to go. And just a final question, if people are listening to this and they haven't necessarily connected with, with Sheffield United this season, obviously they will have seen them play, um, but they might not have invested much time in, in learning more uh, about the players. Who is the, 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 the main player to watch out for in this final run-in and someone who potentially might be attractive to, to other teams come the summer? Yeah, the big player for me, I think, is Jack O'Connell. He's, uh, he's not one to push himself forward like a lot of footballers, so maybe he doesn't get the, the, the credit and the spotlight he deserves. But to me, he's the one player, like John Flex had a fantastic season, obviously Dean Henderson, but he's a Manchester United player, so the people will know about him anyway, and he's been in the England squad. But to me, Jack O'Connell, is, is, he's the one player, I think, that you know you look at the top three, four sides, he could slot into their defence easily. He's obviously one of the infamous overlapping centre-backs that they have. He, Pops up here, there and everywhere and his crossfield balls with his left foot. You know, he puts him on a postage stamp, 40, 50 yards. But he's just, he's fantastic just with his reading of the game. 
You know, he's, he's, he doesn't really do last-ditch tackles because he's, he reads the game that well. It never gets to that. You know, he cuts the ball out before it usually gets to whoever he's marking. So, you know, if, if you want an example of a, a fine defender and also somebody with a great backstory because obviously he was in League One with this side. He came up with them. So uh, I think he's the man. And, you know, I, I actually really do think that he, he could play for England. He, you know, it might be one of these where he has to leave Sheffield United first. I hope not because uh, certainly it seems a lot more open these days just getting into the England squad. But he's a fantastic footballer and I, I really enjoy watching him play. He's such a graceful player. I think he's a little bit like cricketers as well who left-handers always look like a bit more guile about them. And I think a left-footed, a left-footed centre-house is exactly the same. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're highly sought after as well. <laughs> For many, many clubs need a, need a good left-footed uh, centre-back as well, don't they? So uh, we will see how it goes in the summer. We will obviously see how it goes for the rest of the season for Sheffield United. Uh, we wish you well, Richard. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, and if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, make sure that you go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to enjoy all of Richard's articles on Sheffield United. Uh, you can currently take advantage of that 30-day free trial if you want to try it out before committing to a full subscription. And with that, you'll enjoy all all of the best football writing as the Premier League makes its return. And don't forget, uh, keep an eye on this podcast feed and the Athletic app to hear all 20 of our Premier League countdown podcasts, each one dedicated to a different team. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We'll see you for the next one.